is kill or be killed Survival of the fittest We players in the game and y'all are just critics Who watch from the sideline, we handle our business It ain't how you start the game, it's how you finish It's kill or be killed Survival of the fittest We players in the game and y'all are just critics Who watch from the sideline, we handle our business It ain't how you start the game, it's how you finish Welcome to America, home of the industrial prison on Juvie. Stop the brakes off that kid. Oh, y'all thought y'all killed a bitch? Hi, Dr. Barry. I'm Alana McKenzie. We spoke on the phone last Friday. It's my first day. If you piss off these officers, they may not come when you need them. Call Red in the school hall. We need all available staff. Call Red. I need all available staff to the school hall. Move. Everybody move. Hey, hey, let him go. He can't breathe. Juvie. Season 1, Episode 2, Call Me Sam. All right, guys. This is the last intake for the day. Sam Newsom. I don't make a big deal out of it. He cool. Ain't nothing changed. So we need new picks. Go over the long metal expectations. Give him the orientation booklet. And, of course, cut his hair. Is this weave? This? This is my hair. Nobody's cutting my hair. Okay. All right. Calm down. Look, just talk to them about it, and maybe we can work something out. Yo, y'all call Logan and see how we're supposed to handle this. Um, I think you better take this one, Crenshaw. I just don't have the patience, or should I say the political correctness, to handle this job correctly without losing my damn job. Yeah, um, I can't do it. I'm out. Mac turns and exits the room. Lyles follows him. Are you serious? Y'all like extra dumb, making a big damn deal about a tranny intake? I ain't no damn tranny. Okay, boo. So what the hell you want me to call you? Because I got to do your intake and I got shit to do. So what you want me to call you? Sam. Okay. Sam. Let's go. I don't have all day. I got to do all this and get you to your unit before five. Crenshaw holds up the camera and positions to take Sam's photo. She pauses. You can act cute if you want to. But if someone put their hands on you, you better fight like a man. This is Longmeadow. Longmeadow Therapy Group Room, hallway. Mackenzie walks alongside Kathy Nugent, mid-40s, a large-framed confrontational woman. She gives Mackenzie a tour of the therapy group hall and rooms. Nugent grasps her overly clipped clipboard of documents tightly to her chest like a treasured football playbook. Mackenzie's heels click swiftly behind Nugent's black Nikes struggling to keep up with her brisk, authoritative stride. Nugent stops in front of one of the classroom doors. This is the group room. You'll be doing anger management, substance abuse, family therapy, and my favorite, sex offender therapy. Mackenzie peeks into one of the rooms. A middle-aged female therapist is seated in a circle, exasperated as a group of unruly teenage boys engage in a circle of misbehaviors, throwing paper around the room, yelling, arguing, rapping. Two boys are standing up play fighting in the corner of the room. This is not the best example of how your group should be run, but she's new and she never put her foot down. So now they're in control. You got to let them know who's in charge from day one. Is there like a co-therapist or... No, something? no, you'll be doing the groups alone. We don't have enough staff to do groups together. But you'll have a few officers in the room with you in case things get out of control, kind of how it is now. 
She should already have called this in. You're supposed to let the officers know when behaviors are out of control, which I'm sure they see and they're supposed to remove the residents and take them back to their unit. Mackenzie watches as the boys become more rebellious, tossing and trading snacks, cursing and yelling at the therapist. Officer Gibbs and Caruso stand at the back of the room, oblivious to the mayhem, deeply engaged in a discussion. The woman holds her hands up in an emotional retreat. That's it, group is over. Nugent chuckles as the woman quickly gathers her files and shoves them into her briefcase. She turns to the officers. I'm done, you can take them back to their unit. The woman storms out of the room past Mackenzie and Nugent. Officer Caruso yanks his radio off his hip and blares into it. Officer Caruso, 1017 with eight residents back to Unit C. Group canceled per therapist request due to non-compliance. 10-4. Okay, gentlemen, congratulations. You just added a day to your time. Back to the unit. Let's go. The boys slowly ascend from their seats, groaning and complaining. Can't stand that bitch. Always leaving group. We ain't even do nothing. I need a new therapist. I ain't never gonna get home. The boys trudge past Mackenzie and Nugent, still standing in the hallway. One of the boys turned to Mackenzie. Hey, baby, you my new therapist? Good morning, guys. Nugent turns to Mackenzie with an angry whisper. Don't nice it up with these kids. You start hard and loosen up later. If you let them think they can take advantage of you, you're done before you even start. I was just saying good morning. The most important thing to remember is you never let these kids boss you around. If you give them a directive and they refuse or mouth off, give them a behavior infraction immediately. Mackenzie nods, uncomfortable with Nugent's overly boisterous tone. Okay, I got it. These jackass officers let these kids do whatever the hell they want and they don't follow up with anything. Nugent looks around, her voice lowering to a whisper. Shit's been disappearing, if you know what I mean. I write up the charges and these frickin' GD pricks destroy it. Less paperwork for them. Mackenzie stares into Nugent's bitter eyes, wondering how to respond. So you mean the charges, they just... Never mind, just pay attention, you'll see. Longmeadow grounds. Crenshaw, with Sam in the passenger seat, zooms across the hilly grass area of Longmeadow grounds in a golf cart, headed toward the exterior of the compound. Crenshaw parks the cart on the side of the building and pulls out her radio. Officer Crenshaw to Officer Mack? Go for Mack. Officer Mack, I'm in the middle of an intake and I'm running a little behind. Could you please complete my perimeter check at gate 42? Over. There's a long pause. Sam watches as Crenshaw seems to be getting anxious, looking around, leg tapping, distracted. Officer Crenshaw to Officer Mack, do you copy? Officer Crenshaw, this is Sergeant Logan. I'm at gate 30, but I could head over to 42 and do your perimeter check if Mack is busy. Crenshaw panics, shifts in her seat, jumps out of the golf cart and begins walking, pacing. She lifts the radio, takes a breath. Uh, this is Officer Crenshaw. That, that's okay, Sergeant Logan. Uh, I'm actually headed to, to 42. I got it. Thank you, sir. Longmeadow grounds, gate 42. Officer Max stands with his arms crossed, casually looking up. Suddenly a drone flies over the campus. The drone lowers and hovers, hovers, 
and lowers and drops a package onto the grounds. Mac retrieves the package, hops into his golf cart, and grabs his radio. Longmeadow Grounds, Gate 30. Officer Crenshaw, driving erratically, rambles into her radio. Officer Crenshaw to Officer Mac. What's your 20? Officer Crenshaw, this is Officer Mac. Gate 42 perimeter is secure. You can proceed with your intake. 10-4, Officer Mac. Thank you. Crenshaw pulls the golf cart over. She sits for a minute. Exhales. Sam smiles as she looks at Crenshaw with curious suspicion. Perimeter checks must be pretty important, huh? Yes, they are. So was getting your ass to CI so I could finish this intake. Officer Crenshaw to Central Infirmary. Central Infirmary, Nurse Dean. 1017 to CI intake bay with resident SN for medical eval. 10-4, Officer Crenshaw. Crenshaw tosses the radio to the floor of the golf cart and speeds across the compound. Longmeadow grounds, gate 42. Sergeant Logan whizzes across campus toward gate 42. He stops his cart as he sees Officer Mack in the distance driving away from the area. Logan pulls up to the edge of the perimeter, hops out of his cart to take a closer look. He inspects the grounds, kicks his boot against a suspicious object. It's just a branch. Logan pushes against the gate, looks up at the razor wire. He finally retreats back to his golf cart and heads back to the main campus. Longmeadow, break room. Mackenzie enters the break room, juggling her briefcase in a stack of files. Officer Lyles is leaning against the vending machine, discussing the highlights of his earlier restraint with Officer Lennox. Lyles mimics a wrestling move. I had that nigga like, like so. <laughs> the officer slapped hands and let out a roar of laughter. Mackenzie stops uncomfortably as she makes eye contact with Lyles. She recognizes him as the officer from the riot, the choker. Mackenzie pushes herself to enter the room. She lays her briefcase and files on the table and looks up. Hi, I'm Mackenzie. I'm the new therapist for General Pop. Officer Lennox nods in her direction. What's up? Lyle stares at Mackenzie, doesn't respond. He whispers something to Lennox. Tension builds. Mackenzie fidgets, walks towards the other vending machine and fishes some money from her pocket. She inserts one of the bills and stops as she feels the officer staring at her. She turns around and looks back, lets out a breath before inserting the second bill into the machine. Mackenzie presses a button and retrieves a bright green energy smoothie. She looks back at the officers with a forced sense of calm, takes a sip from her beverage. The officers gather their unfinished food items and head toward the exit. As Mackenzie tips her head back for another swallow, Lyles crosses abruptly in front of her, bumping her and sloshing some of the juice down the front of her blouse. Mackenzie gasps. Excuse you! The officers snicker as they exit the break room. Mackenzie turns, yanks off a piece of paper towel and begins scrubbing at her blouse. She jumps as Dr. Barry pokes her head in the break room. There you are. I just sent you an email. We have an emergency staff meeting in the conference room. Um, what, what time? Now. Longmeadow Conference Room. Warden Beverly Lamont, 52, sits at the head of a crowded oblong mahogany table. Mackenzie rushes in with a wet napkin in hand and a brighter wet green stain illuminated against 
her beige blouse. 22 Long Meadow employees look up and take notice of the new girl, some with cordial nods, some with side whispers and fake smiles. Warden Lamont, the first Black female warden in Long Meadow history, exudes the pronounced stature of the most important person in the room. The warden looks over at Mackenzie, her eyes fixated on the green stain. Have a seat, please. Mackenzie looks around the table for an opening. Her eyes lock in on Caleb Vasquez, 32, her close friend and science teacher for Longmeadow. Caleb points to the empty chair next to him and smiles. Mackenzie beams with relief as she bustles past the crowded table and makes her way to Caleb. Mackenzie plants herself down and exhales. Warden Lamont pierces her lips and shuffles a few papers around before continuing. As I was saying, most of you already know, we just received our first transgender intake. Warden Lamont looks up with some trepidation, careful of how she forms her words. His name is Samuel Newsom. He's 17 and has requested to be called Samantha. That request is denied. That is not the name on his official birth record. You can address him by Samuel, Sam, or Resident Newsom. Warden Lamont makes eye contact with Dr. Barry, who readily chimes in. Yes, um, Resident Newsom is currently in mid-transition. He, she, does have a prescription for hormone treatments that will need to be continued through medical. Dr. Barry quickly tosses the discussion. Sergeant Logan, can you give us a little bit of background? Sure, no problem. Resident Newsom presents as a female and convincingly so. Gained the attention of a group of boys up in Cherry Hill during a basketball game. Apparently, the youth were alerted as to Newsom's birth gender and reportedly were embarrassed and angry prior to the assault. These guys had been flirting with Newsom for weeks leading up to the incident. I think one of them even bought her a present of candy, flowers, or something, something like that. Warden Lamont shoots Sergeant Logan a look that clearly says, speed it up. Anyway, the boys, about three of them, engaged in a vicious group assault against Newsom, who returned about 30 minutes later with a loaded 365 SIG and let out the whole clip right there on the basketball court. Fortunately, Newsom missed almost every shot. He did gaze one of the boys in the leg, minor flesh wound, which leads some to believe that he, she, never intended to hurt anyone. It was more of a warning. I believe that's merely a conjecture, Sergeant Logan. Let's stick to the facts here. Resident Newsom is here for first-degree premeditated attempted murder with willful and deliberate intent. He is highly intelligent, manipulative, charming, and aggressive when triggered. As with any other resident, there are no special privileges, favors, or clothing distributed aside from a state-issued bra. I believe he does have breasts which is why I do not agree with continuing any medication that... <laughs> Warden Lamont stops herself, looks around, reads the room. Anyways, an executive order states that we have to... <laughs> so the law is the law. 
There's an uncomfortable silence. Mackenzie looks over at Caleb and back at Warden Lamont, who's now looking at her. Warden Lamont slowly turns back to Sergeant Logan. Any questions or anything I may have missed, Sergeant Logan? Resident Newsom's hair. She requested to keep it. At first, I thought it was a weave, which is an artificial extension. It can be confiscated until discharged, but it's real. Newsom refused to have it cut during intake earlier. It's hair. I don't care. I got bigger fish to fry. But if he gets into a fight and it's used against him, i.e. someone strangles him with it, we're not responsible. Have him and his guardian sign something agreeing to that. There's no guardian. This kid's been emancipated since 15. He was living alone, working, in school, no priors. He was actually doing pretty good until this incident. And it's a big incident, okay? Have him sign something about the hair. Thank you, Sergeant Logan. I appreciate the backstory. Sergeant Logan closes the file and turns away. Caleb finds a moment to slip a piece of paper in front of McKenzie. It reads, meet me in the parking lot for lunch at 1.30. Blink once for yes, twice for no. McKenzie smiles and blinks once. An unexpected laugh escapes from her lips. <laughs> Do you have something to add, Mrs. McKenzie's no allergies. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I, I was coughing. Caleb smiles and retrieves the paper and tucks it in his notebook. Okay, that's it then. Dr. Berry, anything? Um, I'd like to give resident Newsom the option of being housed in our ISU, in Intensive Services Unit, for his, her, own protection. I can't see her doing very well in general pop. Ward Lamont pivots her chair side to side, processing. Hmm. Okay, I agree, but we can't force him to go. He has the option to be housed in general pop if he so chooses. Okay, I've assigned his case to Ms. McKenzie. I'll put the Newsom's file in your mailbox. Please get her assessed today and update me on the housing preference. She's in the CI right now, so you may have to wait until after lunch. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Longmeadow Dining Hall. Noah makes his way to a long table filled with residents coming from the chow line. He finds a familiar face and sits down next to Dream, Kevin Carter, 16, a frequent Longmeadow resident. What's up, Dream? What's up, Boogie? Officer Gibbs, posted against the wall, takes notice. No touching. First prong. What's good, man? Chilling. When you get here? Today, this morning. Noah rubs his hand over his smooth fade. Got me all bald and shit. <laughs> you should have said you was a roster. Dream directs Noah's attention to the other side of the room to an older inmate with long locks tied up in a neat man bun. Damn, I didn't know that. That's all right. My hair grows back fast. I ain't worried about it. You know I drop soon, right? Yeah, you get out next month, right? October? Yup, October 31st. Halloween, baby. Soon as I get out, guess what I'm going to get? What, a jump off? I'm going to get that regardless. Nah, I'm going to buy me a 944. A 944 what? Porsche, nigga. <laughs> and I'm going to drive right by this joint and blow the horn. So when I hear the horn, that's you? Yup, that's me all day. You know, right, Dream, your broke ass can't even spell Porsche. The boys laugh, slap hands again. Officer Gibbs looks over at them annoyed. No touching. Second prong. Any further contact and you can leave your trays and go back to your unit. The boys grimace in the officer's direction. Noah pokes at his soggy grilled cheese sandwich and fries. 
Enough about me. How the hell you end up at Long Meadow? Noah looks away and fades into a daydream, reflecting. West Baltimore. Motel. Night. A broken motel sign flickers over a dilapidated building. Inside, Noah tends to a sickly mother in bed as his little sister Mia, six, sits on the floor coloring. Ma, how you feeling? I'm all right. You hungry? You want a sandwich or something to drink? No, I'm okay. Just feels good to get some rest. Noah turns to Mia. You good, Mooch? Mia shakes her head and continues coloring. There's a loud thump at the door. Mia scurries into bed with her mother. Noah, who is that? Nobody, I'll get it. Noah quickly slips into the bathroom. Another bang at the door. Noah lifts the toilet lid and retrieves a handgun wrapped in a plastic bag. He tucks the gun into the back of his pants as he advances slowly towards the entrance. Who is it? Hotel manager. Noah yanks open the door and faces a snarly old man. Yeah, what's up? The man points a shaky finger in his direction. Your weekly payment is due. You owe me $150. Noah pushes his way into the hallway, softly closes the door behind him. I thought that was due on Friday. Nah, another payment will be due on Friday. I need the money from last week today. All right, I got you. You got me? When? I need the money now. Give me until tomorrow. My mind hasn't been feeling well and I have my little sister. Listen, kid, listen. I really don't care. If you can't afford the payments, you gotta go. Give me until... Tomorrow morning. I, pr I promise I'll have it by then. Listen, you have until tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. If I don't have the full payment of 150 by then, and then that second payment by Friday, I'm calling the sheriff for immediate removal of everything. All right, I hear you. Noah opens the door and backs his way into the room. The old man blocks the door with his foot. Tomorrow morning, that's it. Noah closes the door and rests his back against it. He slides down to sit. Locust Point, Baltimore, night. Noah stands awkwardly in a parking lot of an office building, perusing his surroundings. The parking lot is nearly empty. A few expensive vehicles are aligned toward the back of the lot in a dim area. Noah sees a nicely dressed middle-aged man walking alone toward a black Range Rover. The man is distracted. His cell phone is balanced to his ear as he fumbles to close his briefcase. Noah starts a soft jog in his direction, quietly advancing behind him as the man reaches his vehicle. Noah thrusts his gun into the man's back. Run your pockets. The man is unusually calm, lets his briefcase fall to the ground as he inhales a breath. You don't have to do this. I said run your fucking pockets. Noah pulls the hammer on the gun. He digs the gun deeper into the man's back. All right, Jill, relax. Let me get my wallet. Noah holds the gun against him as the man slowly lifts a hand and reaches into his back pocket and retrieves his wallet. The man flips the wallet open. Noah's face drops as a gold police badge shines definitively against the shrouding darkness. Noah lowers his gun, his face blank with shock. The man quickly subdues Noah and slams him against the car door. He whispers angrily into his ear. I told you you didn't have to do this. Now you're going to jail. Longmeadow, dining hall. Noah resurfaces from his reflection. He turns towards Dream and exhales. And that's what happened. <laughs> Damn, man, you stuck up 12? How the hell? Yeah, all right, that, that's funny, right?
It's kill or be killed, survival of the fittest We players in the game and y'all are just critics Who watch from the sideline, we handle our business It ain't how you start the game, it's how you finish it Thank you for tuning in to Season 1, Episode 2 of Juvie. Please rate this episode and leave a review. Juvie was written and directed by Dasheen Amin, created and produced by Dasheen Amin and Stacey Ann Henry. Podcast engineer, Eric Maldonado. This episode features the voice talents of Makia Jones as Mackenzie, G. Savion as Sam, Kamisha Ferguson as Crenshaw and Hostess, Rashad Worthy as Cuddy and Big Rod and Devin. Naya Williams as Dr. Barry. Harkeem Ray as Noah. James Leaf as Ocean and Officer Lyles. Jay Cruz as Caleb and Officer Mack. Khalid Royster as Dream and Eli. Drew Lazaroff as Officer Caruso. Damone McCullum as Sergeant Logan. Stacey Ann Henry as Warden Lamont. For more information on this show, a full list of cast and crew, and our social media information, please visit the website at juvieseries.com.